Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Formula One Grid Talk. This is episode 188. My name is Tom Horrocks, and today on F1 Firesides, we have with us a newcomer to the uh, to the podcast, Gregor Grant. Hello, Gregor. Welcome to the show. And uh, would you like to explain to our audience uh, what is your field of expertise and your experience in motorsport while you're here today? Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, good to be here. I've got a rather boring background compared to, to yours, but... Um, uh, my, well, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I don't know whether you've had a lawyer on before, no. um, but I work for a firm of, of, of patent attorneys who have a, a sort of integrated law firm uh, called Marks and Clark. They're, they're quite large, and they they've got clients in the automotive industry and have had you know, for, for many many years. I mean, just as an aside, before I start on on, on anything else, Clark, uh, Sir Dougald Clark, one of the founders in the late 19th century. Uh, invented the two-stroke engine. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, so, so within a space of 10 years, uh, in the 1880s or so, there were three sorts of internal combustion engine uh, invented. One, one was the four-stroke by, by Ludwig Otto, the Otto cycle. The other, the diesel engine, I think it was Rudolf Diesel, Germany. And uh, the other was Dougal Clark, who invented the two-stroke, which, you know, I don't think he made huge amounts of money out of it, but, but I mean, until not that long ago, virtually every small motorcycle and uh, certainly every chainsaw uh, had a noisy, smelly, smoky two-stroke engine. It was all down to Dougal Clark. His partner, Marx, became Lord Marx. He was quite a big wheel, sort of big Victorian stroke Edwardian wheel back in mm-hmm. that time. Um, so... Uh, I mean, they're, they're long gone, but they but they founded this firm, and it's quite a large firm of patent attorneys with offices all over the shop. So I joined them as a lawyer. So I deal with largely with litigation. Right? We might come on can't come on to a couple of litigation issues in the, you know, are you suing people for infringing rights and so on. Mm-hmm. But the firm as a whole is very technically based and very involved in automotive industry and and so on and so forth. So that's. That's uh, my professional day-to-day life. In terms of motor racing, I haven't done much in refer- professionally, but uh, I don't know if you're interested in my, my sort of background. In, in, in uh... Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm very interested in getting into your background. Okay, well, um, I, I mean, basically, I was brought up with motor racing. I mean, I, I never actually raced. I, I, don't, I never had any talent or any, or any money to be a sort of motor racer. Mm. <laughs> um, but... Um, Largely through my well, through my dad, who has the same name as me, or had the same name as me, uh, who started Autosport, which is still in existence, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so in the fifties and sixties, he was, um, you know, he was kind of the, the almost like the premier sort of British journalist in the field. So he knew everybody, and everyone knew him. He did a bit of racing and and so on and so forth. So we, as a family, were heavily involved in motor races. I used to go to motor races with, with him and my other siblings and so on pretty well every weekend you know Silverstone Alton Park you name it plus abroad and, and later on when I in my 20s I, I wrote for the magazine and so on just sort of articles about races and so on so very much plugged in at that time but, but then he, he, he basically died and, and, it, and the thing was sold so I, I haven't really been involved actively except as a very keen spectator uh, of motor racing my 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 mother w- was involved as well because she she helped to start a thing called the Doghouse Owners Club. I don't know, have you heard of that, Tom? Um, no. 
Yeah. Well, it was it was started when all, all the drivers' wives, we're talking about sort of Betty Hill, Betty Brabham, yes. Adam McLaren, that era, okay, were all sitting around in, 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 in windswept airfield circuits, bored rigid, uh, and, and, and while their husbands were out, you know, potentially injuring themselves. Uh, and, and so they clubbed together, called, they had this club called the Doghouse Owners Club, which uh, became quite well known. And I'm told someone's actually making a film about it. Yeah, it's not a documentary. Apparently, it's, so someone's going to be playing my mum. I don't know who. I don't, know who <laughs> I don't think it's Nicole Kidman, but I, <laughs> I don't know who. But uh, we're all involved. My sister did Sterling Moss's scrapbook and then Graham Hill's scrapbook. My brother uh, designed the um, the logo for the Heskiff, you know? Um, yes. James Hunt's Heskiff in the film with Mickey Lauder. Mm. Right, which was a, a sort of teddy bear with a crash hat on, mm. right, and and did, did some other design work for for other teams and so on. So, in a nutshell, I hope it's I haven't gone on too long. My my involvement as a younger person in most racing was almost complete. I mean, I, I had very few other interests in life actually. But now I've got to earn a living and so on and so forth. So that's that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's that's I cannot wait to get into some of that. That's, there's some really there's some really fun stuff in there. Motorsport literally running through your veins. And yes, the, the Doghouse Owners Club, I remember that was mentioned, I believe, in it was Damon Hill's brilliant book, actually. Uh his yes, it was. It was mentioned. That's yes. that's where I've heard of it. So yeah, I forgot the name, but that is where I've heard of it. But before we get into this, I just I'd just like to uh talk before we get into the hugely exciting world of intellectual property laws. I'd like to remind everyone that uh, we do live previews and reviews for every race weekend, which go out live on YouTube and on all major audio platforms too. Just search for F1 Chronicle and go to f1chronicle.com to find out more. If you subscribe and click the bell on YouTube, then you'll know when we're live. So please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you think we deserve it. So... I don't know where to start really with this. I, I think maybe we, if we start with some of your some of your personal stories through through motorsport, and then we'll move on to. I know we, we you want to speak about innovation in motorsport and uh, and some of the things that we think Formula One could potentially do better. So we'll move move on to that a little bit later on. But I'd love to hear a little bit more some of your some of your stories from from the past in uh, with regards to sort of your time around around Formula One and and some of the characters that you you came into. So uh, I understand you obviously you've met Jimmy Clark a few times. You're good friends with um, with, with Graham Hill, yeah. Where where to, where to start, really? What's um... Yeah, um, what, 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 Graham Hill was a sort of family friend because we, we, I live in North London. He was he was from there. He used to work down the road uh, 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 to start his life as a mechanic at a speed shop called Speedwell. Mm. Uh, how he kicked off, and uh, so he was regularly around. And of course, his wife Betty and my mother were quite good pals, and and Damon and his two sisters. You know, we just they were just sort of family pals. We went to parties and mm. that sort of stuff. Jimmy Clark, no, I, I just met him at races. My dad knew him quite well because because my I'm Scottish and my dad was very Scottish, and uh, so he and Jimmy were quite good pals. And but I, I met him a couple of times. Incredibly quiet. I I, I, I don't remember his fingernails. They were, they were so bitten you could hardly see them. And and you know you you wouldn't have thought. And he 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 was extraordinary. He he won. I don't know, was it 25, 30% of all the races he competed in, he, he, he won. I don't know, I, I was thinking about a few things. I mean, I think the last time I saw Graham Hill race was at Monaco in, oh gosh, I can't remember the date, it was 79. Anyway. I went I went down with some friends. Uh, I, I, think, I think my dad was either ill or, or, or had passed away by that point. One of them had this, this, this rather decrepit piper, Comanche, I think it was, it was six-seater highway. We all went down, one, one engine, took us ages. 
it only did about 100 miles an hour at five mm-hmm. uh, we got there but um what struck me uh, thinking about this uh, was the the difference between then and now in in motor racing and how casual right it was then compared to now i mean it's serious but but now it's so uh, it's it's a real massive you know, undertaking commercial, and I know what one can be a bit boring about. You know, back in the old days, it was different. But um, just, just something occurred to me uh, as I was thinking about this. So I go to Monaco, and I wasn't attached to any newspaper. I didn't have anything on. My friend uh, Curly Manning, now deceased, great fun. Um, he, 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 some years before, he he started writing to to race organisers asking for tickets from a thing called Needle Press in Peterborough, okay? And he got tickets and photographers' tickets and all for Le Mans, Monaco, et cetera, et cetera. So he was obviously on their mailing list, so he was okay, right? The thing is, Needle Press uh, basically made greetings cards, right? Right. <laughs> right? That had not even motor racing at all. It was just, it was just a sort of, so he got these tickets. So I had, a, I had a photographer's pass for the Monaco Grand Prix. So I was there for... For a while, and uh, I was with actually the autosport photographer, uh, and I, I carried his aluminium, you know, the big case that photographers have, you know, with the looks important. Yeah. Um, it was actually empty, but I had to look as though it was full of stuff that I, I was help, kind of helping. I think all there was in there was a, a packet of fags or something. You know, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> but what I do remember is walking up. After Sandevot, that's the right-hander after the straight, okay, up to Casino Square, walking up on the right-hand side, I, I don't think there was a barrier. There might have been. If there was, it was very small. With Phil, my friend, and cars going past 150, I don't know whatever they were, including Graham Hill, who won the race, going past and giving us a V sign, you know. <laughs> uh, we could just do that, you know. And I had this fake photographer's, well, it's a real photographer's task, but for a fake organisation, Mm. Uh, and, and that kind of thing was very much part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that, that happening. It's certainly in Bernie's era, and uh, he's very. Yeah, it all got very strict and difficult, and you couldn't get into things, you know. But it was just fair enough because it was a much, yeah. it's a much bigger thing now than it was. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's a lovely story, brilliant story. That's really is a a lovely story, and and I imagine just the the way the paddock was is completely different to how how it is now, and especially from a from a safety point of view. I mean, you look at it now on on TV, and you see how things how things are on TV. How different is it to to how it was back then? Well, well, I mean, walking walking up the hill at at Saint Devot, ho ho ho, you know that sort of thing. Well, of course, there's the safety of the cars and the safety of, of, of the spectators and, and, and drivers, you know, in the context of barriers and so on. Cars, well, uh, I mean, everyone knows this. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s, I mean, my dad was every few weeks would pop off to some funeral, you know, in, in, in mm-hmm. Sweden or, or, or Milan, right? Some some 23-year-old driver died in a flaming wreck, you know, and that was quite quite common, you know, and that inspired Jackie Stewart and uh, I think Nicky Lauder later on to, to sort of start getting vociferous about fuel safety, you know, uh, fuel tanks that didn't rupture and blah, 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 you know, and of course Lauder himself had some pretty good uh, reason for, 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 for yeah. doing that. But it took a while and Armco Barriers came in, you know, having had either nothing or straw bales and, and safety has definitely and it, it's terribly important. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, these cars go jolly, jolly fast. That's the whole point. I, th- I think it, it does have, there is a sort of cusp between safety and innovation because 
requirements, which are largely a lot to do with safety, do do prevent innovation. You can't go and do what you want to do, basically. You've got to have a, a regard to safety. And the rules, the regulations are framed very much to, to make the cars uh, safer and it's it, it really is chalk and cheese you kind of credit i mean look at look at grosjean's accident last year oh yeah i mean come on i mean if that had happened a few years ago we wouldn't have a grosjean at all you know he wouldn't be off indianapolis he'd be you know six feet under i mean things have improved immensely so two no two ways about it but you've got to do that in the context of a, of a very dangerous spectacle you know yes it's, it, it's a balancing act isn't it it's, it's yeah. inherently it's inherently dangerous just motorsport in general obviously and uh, and yeah the, the safety side of things it's uh, it's it's massively important it's quite chilling actually to think that the the rules with regards to um, the the overalls that, that that they wear they changed them going into that season where Grosjean had the accident and to think that if he had had his accident one year earlier the amount that the fire suits were supposed to be fireproofed were the same as his gloves the previous season and you see the state of his hands that would have been his entire body had he had that crash one year earlier which is just chilling to think that that that's how close we came to losing Roman and in a, in a sport that has been go, saying for years how safe it is and and you know apart I mean, apart from poor Gilles obviously when we when we lost him after the accident that was a, that was a bit of a freak accident it, it was a freak accident but yeah. it, again it's led to positive change it led to the introduction to virtual safety car and and much better innovations around around the track itself but um but do you, do you find that the, the, the i mean obviously we know the safety needs needs to be there do you find that that it actually stifles some of the innovation or does it actually improve the innovation because they have things to work around it's hard to say that it stifles innovation. I mean, I, I do find that a lot of the, the rules now, if we're going to talk about the rules, I mean, I'm not an expert on them, and, and, and I'm, I'm not even sure if you can get hold of a copy. Are, are they available to the... Yeah, they are freely available online. You can download them. All right. Okay, well, I gather there's quite a lot of it. I mean, I'm yes. a lawyer, so I'm usually dealing with great piles of paper, but, you know, it, it, it does seem to be very prescriptive. You, you, you do this, you do that. And it really is quite amazing that cars... You know, although superficially look very similar, actually, in many ways, they're actually quite quite different. So there is there is some scope. So innovation is stifled by requirements for dimensions, and you kind of this bigger than that, and blah blah blah. Um, but nonetheless, within that context, they do do jolly well. In fact, I don't even remember at the beginning of this year, um, Ross uh, uh, Ross Braun, who of course was a great innovator and came up with the. Uh, Things on the uh, on the on the broad car, you know, was it the, the, the diffuser at the back, wasn't it? Yes. Because um, right. now now he's to turn gamekeeper. <laughs> it expressed some degree of surprise that the that, that there was so much difference between uh, the, the 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 new breed of Formula One cars uh, between one car and another, given the regulations. He, he wasn't expecting things that you know, like the the um, the, the very narrow sort of um, side. Pods on the on the Mercedes, you know, they've got very small um, ducts, and they've been very clever with the airflow. And he was he was jolly impressed that they they'd done that. So he'd set these very high bars of role of, of laws, and the uh, the teams had, had beavered away and, and managed to, to be quite innovative. 
Mind you, mm. I don't think that's done Mercedes much good so far. Anyway, well, <laughs> no, yes, uh, I, it did make me laugh that uh, there was people straight away uh, ready to protest, and I was seeing I was seeing articles saying that Lewis Hamilton will be cruising to his eighth world title with a car that's going to be two seconds a lap quicker than everyone, and and then um, as soon as it hit the track, everyone's like, actually, yeah, they can have that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think, I think the pro- the protest sort of uh, mindset. Mm. I'm not altogether happy with. I mean, it, 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 it. Well, I'm a lawyer, I suppose I should be happy with it, but it does kind of bring <laughs> the legal framework into interpreting these rules. And of course, it's all done very privately. You don't really know. I mean, I mean a couple of years ago, the Ferrari, you know, the, the, the fuel. Oh, um, I don't really know the ins and outs of that, but my understanding is that they had found some wizard wheeze with with the fuel flow by by having a sort of pulsed flow that, that interfered with the other, I don't know, uh, jolly clever, which was or, or maybe was or was not within the rules, and they got got take you know some I don't even object to it. I imagine it was Red Bull. They seem to object to everything. <laughs> Actually, better take that out. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's- <laughs> it's to just say well, the word allegedly afterwards you'll be fine well, allegedly there was, there was some, something earlier this year when they allegedly objected that they denied that they had done about the mirrors on the Mercedes I think yes. but anyway but the Ferrari thing actually I found actually uh, uh, particularly because the, the findings uh, were, were not published mm. uh, Ferrari had to change their engines no one knows really why and it's all kind of nods and winks and so on and the result was the Ferrari slipped down right to the back of the grid, you know, which isn't good for business. So, so I, you know, Ferrari had, had worked out some wizard wheeze with a fuel delivery system in some way. I don't, I mean, you, you might know better than I do. And they got jumped on. And I, I think I, as a member of the public, you think, well, well, come on, guys, you know, this is this is the pinnacle of motorsport. If they thought up some clever way of doing stuff. Well, let them get on with it, and and, and and let the other people try and you know do that. If, it, if it's that clever, they can work out the same thing themselves, or or, or improve it. You know, mm. I think there is a stifling. I don't really think that safety is the is what it's all about. I think it's. I think I'm not very right wing. <laughs> I use the word nanny state. I probably sound a bit right wing, but I I think there is. <laughs> I think there was a bit of sort of nanny about all this. It's just too much regulation. Well, I think the um, the again everything this no, nothing because nothing was published. But uh, the 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 way I understand that the rumours about the Ferrari situation were, which I again I state for legal reasons, all rumours. We have no evidence to, to say the contrary. That what was happening was there was uh, there is a set fuel flow that you're not allowed to exceed, and they found a way of pulsing that, like you say, between the intervals when it was measured. And um, right. and that's that is in contravenance of the regulations. There, there's grey areas. There's exploiting loopholes, and then there's actually finding a way to circumvent the regulation by cheating. And that's that's more what the rumor was. So if it was the fact that it's you know that oh they found a workaround, like you know that the rule says that this can't. It doesn't say that specifically this can't be here. You know. For me personally, I'm all fine with that because congratulations, you found a loophole. That's you know you get to exploit that. But when they're actually you know claiming that the system is delivering X amount of fuel and actually it's delivering Y amount of fuel, that for me is a slightly different scenario. But I, yeah, I I, I I take the point. I, I think there was a slight distinction. We, we we are hamstrung by the fact that we don't know, we we don't know that. But this your point is completely valid. 
in that because we don't know, because there's no transparency, because we were never told, we're left to wildly speculate like we are now, and and we just we just don't know, and that's that's the frustrating thing about it. But I I, I suspect potentially um, the FIA were caught with their pants down a little bit on that one, and that uh, it was too embarrassing for them to reveal what Ferrari had managed to do. Yeah, I think so. But you might also ask yourself, why why do we have that rule in the first place? You know, why, why all this fancy rule stuff about fuel? Yeah. Fuel. You know, if, if the engine is com- completely flooded with fuel, you've got to run out, you've got to run out, run out of petrol before the end. You know, uh, you, you've yeah. got to meet your own fuel. Why why have they got to tell you how how much fuel to meet it? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm completely ignorant on this point, but <laughs> it just seems to me from the public point of view. The spectacle, the point of view of the spectacle. Suddenly, Ferrari are taken out of the equation. The car that was fantastic is now hopeless. And this year they've got their own back of it, I think. Yeah, certainly is. Certainly started very well so far this year. And uh, just just for, just for any listeners um, uh, listening in, this episode will be airing after the Imola Grand Prix. Yeah. This episode is being recorded before we go to Imola. So it's just in case there's any anything that's happened at Imola where Ferrari have been disqualified or anything like that that we don't know about. Just uh, just as a caveat, we don't know about that yet. So uh, uh, anything you hear is based on what was what was known before the race at Imola. This this weekend for us yeah so as you said that you know that is that is the problem really with, with the lack of transparency that we we just don't see what uh, what happens with these things which is a bit of a bit a bit of a shame from, from a fan perspective but uh with the this new regulation of of cards come out obviously we've seen a lot of a lot of benefits that have come from it already but we're looking ahead to 2025 2026 when we get these new engines uh what would you like to see with regards to innovation and what you want to see from the formula from those uh, from that new regulation set that's coming well um dear bernie eccleston who's still around and got some things right but quite a lot wrong uh <laughs> he, he he was always banging on about the the, the the hybrid cars not being noisy enough right mm-hmm. and i think there's some truth in that because Okay, it doesn't matter so much on the TV, um, but if but if but if you actually go to a motor race back, you know, back in the day, and, and, and one of those V10s or V12s, you know, whizzed past. I mean, it, it blew your hat off, and it actually, I, I remember taking my my children once, and one one of them was actually ill. There's mm. <laughs> a sound blast. Yeah, they're re- they're really jolly loud, you know. Mm. Um, it's a bit a bit more noise because the thing is a spectacle. I mean, all sport is a spectacle. Really. People pay to watch it because it's because it's an, an entertainment. And I think just to take a step back to this year, when we've had uh, you know the the, the, the the ground effect having been banned for so long, you know, uh, I think largely for safety reasons. I think at the time because mm-hmm. cars basically didn't have to slow down going around corners. <laughs> You know, think think of bucket of water on a string, and the string breaks. You know that that was the sort of thinking. Yeah. I mean. Um And and you, you had flat bottoms, and so you had all this. You know, rather well, it looks silly. Uh, all these wings and winglets and thingies, and you know, canards and what. Which you know, if you touch another car, bits of bits of carbon fiber fly off all over the place. You know, and and they all look a bit daft. And and so this year, the cars look a lot cleaner. Right, uh, yes. largely because because the the because um, of ground effect, you know, the, 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 there are these channels underneath the car that, that, that create a partial vacuum, and uh, which it which seems to work in terms of following closely. I, I, I think that's that's 
the take-home message, I think, for the first few races, that that seems to be the case. Whether, whether that's going to always be true, I don't know. But certainly there's less turbulence behind the car, and therefore it's easier to follow. That, to me, is an innovation that was sort of forced on them because racing was getting so boring because you came up behind another car and you could get near it, you know, because mm. um, of all the, the turbulence. And I think that's a, a good thing that, that they've, they've allowed teams to, to, to go to, to ground event. The surprising thing this year is that the team who you kind of put at the top of the list of, of cleverness is Mercedes seem to have got it got it wrong. I, I don't know why. I, I'm not sure they know why. But they obviously have a different design of the Venturi under the car. I think they'll get it right because they're quite clever up there. In, mm. in uh, Brackley, is it? Um, yes, Brackley and Bricksworth over the two. Bricksworth the engines, and I think. But looking looking ahead, Tom. I mean. I'm not quite sure when the new engine regs are coming in. They put it off for a bit, didn't they? Yeah, I think it's 26, but I could be. Oh, I'm, happy to be I'm happy to be corrected. Well, it's back back to the the noise point, the, Bur- the Bernie noise point. Uh, if he's alive, then perhaps he's perhaps he'll be happy. That, Bernie's uh, never leaving us. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> if you do away with the the MTUH, mm-hmm. I, I, I think people are thinking that that's one of the contributors to the sound not being as in your face as it was. I don't I don't think that the kinetic recovery is, is, is a factor in that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the technicals on that, but mm. I, I think uh, if they're louder, that'd be nicer. You know? Yes, I, I mean, I, I've never attended a, a Grand Prix event with a V10 engine, but I remember attending a, one of the, um, was, I think it was the 2007 Silverstone Grand Prix was my first race I attended live. And I remember standing on Hangar Straight as the cards were going past, desperately trying to not put my fingers in my ears, and I, I couldn't do it. And that's just with the V8s. Uh, so the V10s and, and V12s are even louder. So I, I, can't, I can't even imagine just, just, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a dinosaur thing and we need to kind of leave the, the V12 certainly in the past. But uh, certainly the, the sound, of, I mean, just certain from, from the broadcasting, the sound those V10s make is just, is just amazing. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it was the fact that you were you were getting neat sound. I mean, the, the, the exhausts were going through, you know, turbines and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not. I'm not sure that standing on the hangar straight is a good move, but Tom. I mean, the cars are going past at about 330 kilometres an hour. Mm. <laughs> you only see them for about half a second. Oh yes, yes. This is this is why we're just walking around the track during one of the practice sessions. So oh, right. I always like to do that. Watch, uh, watch. It was always my target to walk, watch a practice session from every grandstand at some point during the day. Oh, right, so, right. so That's watch good. part of it, and just because you could obviously get free. I recommend doing free roaming on practice days to anyone to go and see a Grand Prix, even if you can't go and see the race. Go to a, yeah. go to the practice sessions, watch the race from the grandstands. Because if you can't afford grandstand tickets, it's a great way to watch the cars going around from the grandstands. Go around, watch from every stand you get to see the track in such a different light and next time you watch it on tv you'll appreciate just how fast they're going when you uh when you when you see the stands chalk and cheese isn't it i mean I, i'd recommend yeah. anyone to actually go to them it's a, it's a bit expensive yes it's, just, it's, it's a different thing from from watching it on tv i mean tv is pretty damn good they're much better than they were yes but definitely i say well, if you go there you you realize just how fast these things are going yeah, I've, I've I've been lucky enough to have gone to three different Grand Prix circuits, and uh, and I, I know I'm I'm in a bit of an elite club there, so I'm very very for, very happy that I've been very fortunate to have a very 
generous mother who paid for me to go to Australia for my 30th and, uh, oh, and, nice. and and for me to go to Canada a few years later. So uh, that and then as many trips to Silverstone as I can muster is, is all I can really uh, stretch to. But uh, but yeah, I fully recommend anyone to go go to these races. It's uh, it's just completely different, even if these V6 engines aren't quite as uh, as knock you off your feet powerful as uh, <laughs> as they were in, in yesteryear. But yeah, I agree. It, it would be nice to have a bit of a return to the uh, the, the, the trumpet style exhaust, you know, have, have a bit more power to them, certainly from an audible sense of view on, on, yeah. on the new regulations. But uh, I mean, do you think looking at the, the way that Formula One is, is run at the moment, do you, can you do you think that it is fair the way that the regulations are are done and, and the way that they they basically they take away the toys and and they uh, and they just ban everything whenever someone innovates something? Yeah, I, you've got to have regulation. We were talking about safety earlier on and, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. I'd, I'd also sort of level playing field. And also there's a whole business of the cost cap now to try and make it yes. the, the playing field more level. I think I think the problem I have as a fan rather than an insider is is it, it, it's all it's all a bit too much, you know, that it's all a bit bitty. There are just too many regulations. Why why can't you leave this up to the team? You know, they can have a and if that works, somebody else might do something similar or try and fail, which is I think what Mercedes did with uh, with, with ground effect this year so far. I, I don't think they'll fail for for, for long, but uh, I'm not really in a position to con- criticize the actual regulations, Tom, but I think it's just it seems to be it's back to the nanny state thing and i'm thinking from a perspective of a fan it's frustrating that something you know suddenly everyone appears at bahrain or barcelona or for testing and then someone says oh he's got a funny thing on his mirror you know <laughs> and, <laughs> it's a great impression of christian horner there i've got to say <laughs> i didn't suggest it was christian horner and i think um as a fan you're not terribly interested in that you know, you're, what, what you want to do is see who's quickest and, and how the cars look and how they get. I mean, that's what I'm on. Even though I'm a lawyer, I'm not into the, the regulations. It's just a bit boring. And I, it's a rather, it's more of a mindset thing. I mean, I don't know the guy. People in my in my firm, Mark and Clark, are, um, are, you know, they trade bodies. There's one called, I think it's called the Motorsport Industry Association that people are, are on and um, often the guy who turns up from the FI is Pat Simmons, right? Who, of course, used to work with well, I think it was Williams or Tolman probably originally, and then Williams. And so he's got a pretty good track record as a as an innovator, design. You know, he knows his way around. So I I, I don't know the guy at all, but I'd have thought having someone like him uh, in charge. I think he's recently, fairly recently joined. I would hope that he might be, you know. Uh, uh, have an impact on the mindset of avoiding too many nitpicking regulations that just make people cheesed off. Yeah, and I think Pat works with um, Ross Braun at the moment, but I believe they're both now that the new regulation sets coming in. Their their intention is to step down at the end of this season, which is That's uh, a shame. Yeah. which is a bit of a shame because I think they've done done a done a great job in reinvigorating what we see as a spectacle and it's a great step in the right direction i don't think it's a finished article yet it'd be great to see them continue on with this work but i guess they've probably they've probably earned their money now and deserve deserve a rest and deserve to kind of disappear off into uh, in, into the sunset and watch watch formula one grow because they've they've definitely helped it on that way 
Well, I hope that's I hope that's right, and I, I hope that if they are succeeded, they're succeeded by people like them who know the importance of innovation. Because Formula One doesn't exist in a vacuum. I mean, it is essentially the the pinnacle of motoring. Not not the not the land speed record. <laughs> Not even Le Mans. You know, I think Formula One is the pinnacle, the engineering pinnacle of. of a, so if, it, if it's too high bound with regulations, it, it just becomes tiresome. I mean, the fact of the matter is, of course, it's incredibly popular right now. I, I, I'm told that over the weekend at Melbourne, there were 400,000 plus people. Um, yeah, over over the three day, over, over the four over days. The yeah, days. so it was yeah, like a, so that's, yeah. that's a, that's a, and there's not a lot of what well, it was. It was basically just full up, wasn't it? There was no more room. Virtually, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think the same applies up at Silverstone. You know, there's, there's no more space. You know, and uh, plus you've got this Netflix thing, which I personally haven't seen, but I gather it's it's increased interest, particularly in the states. So, you know, it's a very popular thing at the moment. Hmm. But I hope they don't kill the goose. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you're if you haven't watched Drive to Survive and you're and you're heavily into Formula One, I don't recommend that it's it's necessarily going to be definitely for you uh, it's definitely aimed at people who don't know about formula one and and to sit there and he, he does a great he's a, he's an amazing broadcaster but to sit there and have will buxton say to you if you feel it starts on pole you have 19 drivers behind you it's just it's not the kind of stuff that you that you need to hear from, no, i think uh, I, I think i probably guessed that actually yeah exactly exactly but you know he's he he loves i know i i heard an interview from recently he loves the fact that his his um his daughter now sees him as a meme because that's just everything that he says has just has become a meme yeah i think see various ones like saying uh the uh, color was it purple is a fruit i think was one of the memes that went around because he just seems to say the weirdest things on on these things but uh you no. should get into private eye on, on uh, you know the, the colon balls or they used to call it you know yeah some garbled things said by commentators exactly exactly yeah he's uh he's i think he's trying to um trying to follow murray walker's footsteps with those but, uh, <laughs> yeah no so i if if you are thinking about watching drive to survive Gregor, i wouldn't recommend it for you uh, i don't think it's probably something that you would enjoy i tend to watch it because i watch it with the wife she's not as into formula one as i am and she enjoys it in that sense but i find it quite uh, jarring at times because they just they just change things and it's not a season review it's a dramatization of formula one and i'm not into the drama myself I gather Max doesn't like it. No, Max doesn't like it either. And that's one of the yeah. few things we share. Yeah. <laughs> huge, huge respect for Verstappen as a driver, but I, I disagree Absolutely. with some of, some of the things that he does on track. But uh, but there we go. We'll, 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 we'll leave that one there. I think I've, I've shown my true where my part of support lies as well as a, as a McLaren well, fan. And a, is it, and is a it better driver. to start off driving too fast than driving too slow? I don't know. <laughs> well, yes, yes. That's, that's definitely, uh, I would rather someone was exciting than slow. Definitely. And um, what I mean is I just disagree with a few things that he does on track. I don't necessarily disagree with him as, as a driver. And and I think he's a, a nice lad, an incredibly well-adjusted lad, considering what he's been through as a child and and, and his upbringing and everything. So I, I think he's he's a phenomenal talent and uh, and a worthy world champion, if before anyone asks me on Twitter. But, uh... He's a worthy world champion, but... Uh, well, wait, you probably talked about the the episode at the end of the year last year. One or two year. times, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> yeah, it's probably best we'll, we'll we'll treat that one with a fifty foot uh, fifty foot pole, I think, and uh, and leave that one alone. But yeah, so uh, look, looking ahead then, so uh, what looking at Formula One this season, I'd love to just think what what you think about 
what you've seen so far and what you think is going to happen towards the end of the season because I love getting people's thoughts on on who they who they think is going to be champion and why and all that kind of thing so I'd love to hear from you about from from what you've seen so far where you think it's going this year oh gosh um okay I've watched all three races uh, on, on, on TV and unfortunately I don't get it live I watched the recorded thing but still there it is it's still the same stuff yeah um okay uh well I suppose the first uh, reaction I had is one of surprise that things have changed so much since last year. Not surprised that Verstappen's you know still in the fray, although his cars let him down. Um, surprise that Mercedes. Well, first of all, that Mercedes power units seem to have slipped down the order. Whereas I think the conventional wisdom last year was that Mercedes had a few horsepower more than everybody else. I don't. I don't know whether that's true or not because they don't tell you. So McLaren, although they came good in the last race, uh, and Aston Martin and Williams with Mercedes engines are really not, you know, they are they, they look to be to be struggling. And I, and I don't know that it, it could be something to do with the fuel, actually. You know, they, they've got they've got a different fuel this year. Yes, they've got a ten percent ethanol fuel. Yeah. So I don't. I, I mean, that's just a guess on my part. That was a surprise because the Mercedes engine was, was the creme de la creme. Or I said I shouldn't use the word engine, should I? I should say power unit. Yeah. It was the creme de la creme. I think Leclerc had to drive, had to overdrive last year mm-hmm. because the car wasn't so good, and it was quite clear that he was pretty, pretty good. And so he doesn't have to overdrive this year. So he's driving within himself, sort of like C, and he is just, he, you know, he's he, he's. He's pretty good. He's up. He's up there with Verstappen. It seems he's, to me. He's all right, isn't he? He does yeah, okay. <laughs> definitely all right. So, uh, you know, prediction. It's only three races, yeah. um, and things can change. The uh, um, one thing that's interesting and, and quite exciting is is, is Renault or Alpine. Mm. I, I'm actually uh, Alonso. I, I, I probably wouldn't go on holiday with him, but um, <laughs> I, I don't. I wouldn't want him driving behind me. <laughs> <laughs> he brings his own deck ride. chairs. <laughs> You've got to admire the guy. He's, I think, he's forty. Yes, and he had a time off, for her, and he's had a, you know, the comeback wasn't that, wasn't that great. But I mean, last year when he held Hamilton off, I mean, that, that's that's proper driving in my book. You know, he was doing a good job for his team when Ocon won the race. Was it Hungary? It was Hungary, yeah. yeah. And um, this year, he's. You know, if, if something hadn't happened in uh, in Melbourne, he would have been probably on the second row of the grid, which wasn't bad for a car. Which, which, which is a bit interesting. So pe- people who, who were rather poo-pooing the Renault engine probably are wrong because it seems to be all power unit. It mm-hmm. seems to be okay. So that's a kind of surprise that they're up there so far. The big surprise, of course, is, is Lewis. Well, it's Mercedes. Yeah. And business that they just haven't got... I mean, poor, poor poising. It's a nice word, isn't it? Poor poising. <laughs> uh, was known back in the 70s when they, yes. when they first had... The, yes, it's on a new... Well, you think you've got a Venturi there, and that the faster you go, the car gets closer to the ground, and then it, the, basically the uh, the airflow when well, it stalls, isn't it? That's the, I, I'm not an aerodynamicist, but it, it all gets. A, and that all happens in a split second, and it, you know. So you could see it on the pictures from Melbourne, the, the helmet. They were, get, they were going like this. It must be awful to drive these things. Yeah. Anyway, for better or for worse, Mercedes did not get it right, and Hamilton effectively said so. But they're a pretty pretty good bunch. I suspect they will they will get it right. I suppose the sad story is uh, Williams aren't so bad. They got a point in Melbourne, didn't they? Mm. Uh, which is nice. Uh, and they look. And of course, I don't know about you, but I've got a tremendous sort of um, uh, attachment to Williams from back in the old days. You know, yeah. all those different 
bunch now. Uh, to, some, to some extent, McLaren the same actually, even though they're owned by you know different people, completely different sort of people as well. Uh, so Williams, I think they have tremendous goodwill, don't they, Williams? Everyone is sort of you know plucky Williams, you know. Yes. Yeah. Although once back in the day with Mansell and sat all around, you know, they 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 won everything. I think the, the, the Haas car uh, and the Alfa Romeo. Both of which last year were, were also ran to the man. With obviously the Ferrari engine have got it right, so that that they are competitive. Certainly, certainly the Haas. Well, actually, they both are. Bottas is doing well, so that's a, cha- a complete change from last year. Uh, the thing that hasn't changed is that Aston Martin are not really. I, I don't know what's going on there, but they're and, and, and they've got good people and everything. They haven't really sort of. Uh, Got on top of it. Yeah, things come and go, don't they, Tom? I mean, who's to say that next, next, you know, Imola suddenly Vettel starts, you know, winning something? Or you know, I don't know. That'd so, be nice. That would be nice to see it. It'd be nice to see. It. I, I, I don't hold a lot of hope for that myself, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it, it'd be nice to see. That, that was you asked me what I thought of the current year, and that's yeah. my instant reply. Yeah, excellent. So before we finish, I'd love to, to talk a little bit more about what you came on to speak about uh, as well, which is about uh, your um, your role involving in intellectual property and, and patents. So, yeah, I'd like to just kind of hand over to you now and to talk about that as well, because uh, you've probably got some interesting stories and, uh, and, and conversational points around that. So, yeah, how, what impact does intellectual property and patents have in the sport? Thanks, Tom. Uh, yeah, intellectual property as a, as a heading uh, embraces copyright uh, Confidential information and, and and patents, which are monopoly rights granted if you if, if you claim to have made a particular uh, invention that's new. Right? Yeah, patents actually are very interesting, but uh, in motor racing, I don't think there's an awful lot to do with patents. But I, I think that the reason is that if, when you apply for a patent, you've got to give quite a lot of detail about your working. You can't just sort of make a statement. You've got to back it up with a lot of detail, and all that gets published, right? But not for eighteen months, right? Mm. But in the motorising context, eighteen months is is is, a, is an age. You know, it's like two seasons, really. So I, I suspect, well, I don't know, that people in 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 uh, Formula One won't be so troubled with applying for patents because if if they did, a people would know what they're doing in eighteen months' time, and b by that time it's out of date anyway. So. Mm. It, it might not be something that they that they need to think about, but I I don't know. I, I I if there was an invention, for example, some new sort of fuel injection nozzle or something that had a wider application than motor racing, then it, it, it might be useful. But that sort of thing it would be developed by the manu by, by the supplier uh, component supplier rather than the manufacturer. So. It, we're talking mainly about we're talking about things that would be generic to cars generally. Uh, motor racing tricky, you know. The rules change. Someone makes a development. Someone gets a better one. You know, it, it's a fast moving zone. So patents may may not be a great relevance. I think the the, the greatest relevance really is, is we call it confidential information or know how or technology. Yeah, and of course there have been cases where that's becoming very important. But two, the, the, the Ferrari uh, complained to the FIA about McLaren nicking some of those. This is all very alleged because it, nothing was proved. But, but, but McLaren got fined a hundred thousand a few years ago. Million, I can't remember the hundred million dollars, I think it was. Hundred, sorry, hundred million bucks, and, and you know, which is a massive amount of money, even for these wealthy Formula One types, and um, because. 
it was found, well, alleged that they'd taken, it's called Spy, was it called Spygate? Spygate was what it was coined, Spygate. yeah. It had to be a gate, didn't it? Yeah, yeah of course. It's a gate now, but uh, yeah. it was Spygate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was quite a big deal. Uh, you know, but basically, it was allegations of, of dishonesty, really. Uh, people had taken, you know, walked out with drawings or, or presumably things on computer discs or whatever. I think nothing was proved in the strict sense. So I, I, I'm not making, I'm not pointing fingers. But certainly, it did result in a, in a, a huge fine. Uh, earlier, there was a case involving an American team called UOP Shadow, run by a guy called Don Nichols. Uh, against his ex-employees, including Jackie Oliver, who had been a driver, and Alan Reese, who started Arrows. And in fact, it was proved that they walked out with a load of drawings and stuff uh, to build the Arrows. And in fact, the, the court granted an injunction which prevented the Arrows car running, you know, mm. quite, quite serious stuff. But that wasn't based on patents. It was based on people taking confidential information, know-how, uh, for their own for their own purposes, so I think there was an aspect of what we call copyright law as well. It was a bit yeah. similar sort of area, not monopoly rights as such, but but, but taking information. Uh, and I think uh, my feeling is that cars that, that Formula One manufacturers, the, the teams, are quite careful about their uh, intellectual property in terms of. Um, confidential information and very very keen on people not seeing uh, things they they wanted to see i think the story was was it red bull turned up at, i think it was in barcelona with this car and everyone said oh that's interesting <clears throat> had some sort of tweaks and features on it which everyone thought was nice and wondering you know how it would work next time it appeared it was a different car because the one they showed at barcelona i think is, is this right Tom? it was a fake yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so much a fake. The, the, the one they released in the uh, in their launch was just a Red Bull liveried show car that was that was nothing like the car that came out in Barcelona. But then when they turned up to Bahrain, it was a different car again. So it was, yeah, it was intended to mislead people into thinking that what was was you know that kind of thing. So yeah. I think people are quite protective about these. Um, talking of innovation, I, mean, I can't involve, can't avoid mentioning years and years ago the Tyrrell six wheel car. Right, which I think you probably mentioned on previous uh, podcasts, which I don't think it was actually banned, but it, but it, it wasn't very successful. Uh, just two two things occur to me about that is when it was when it first appeared, the Tyrrell team had a cover on the front wheels that made it look as though it was an ordinary car with two mm. front wheels. Then they whipped this thing off, and everyone, wow, it's got it's got. Uh, it's got uh, four four little wheels. And the other thing that occurs to me about that is just just a silly story. Is that, you know, when you watch the races and someone comes into the pits, you've got this camera on a wire overlooking the thing. You know, and you know, two point two seconds later, the cars, all four wheels, have been changed. Various other things might have happened. I don't know. Uh, and off he goes. A six wheel Tyrrell. When how long how long is that going to take? <laughs> come, come, imagine. Coming into the, in, into its into its little slot, and, and, and instead of four wheels, it's six, and mixing up the big ones and the small ones, and so on and so forth. You know, it would you know take about a minute. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to see how they cope with it nowadays. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm strained. I, I I mentioned that because of the feature of, of keeping it quiet. You know, before the announce. You know, not 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 let people know. And I think there's a lot of that in Formula One. That if you were to walk, I I, I don't go into the 
prints or paddock anymore. I can't, uh, I'm not allowed, you know, not part of the inside thing. But I imagine it looks as though everything is is very high security. You know, if you start putting your head around something and they're going, well, look at that, right? Some, someone will, you know, grab you and throw you out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's all to do with the, the, the issue of, of intellectual property being kind of secrets, trade secrets and know-how rather than actual rights. Yeah. 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 Well, the um, the, for me, the uh, the biggest or the uh, the most interesting innovation I've seen in Formula One, and certainly w- was well hidden as well, was was the uh, Brabham BT forty six B, the uh, the fabled fan car. That uh, I think they they protected it by putting a dustbin lid over the uh, over the back of the fan, so you can. Yeah, I think that's right, but al- but also the they, 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 the Brabham was it Gordon Murray designed it, wasn't it? It was, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, they explained to them, oh, it's it's nothing to do with the ground effect; it's a cooling fan. Right? Yeah. It's a big cooling fan. Fifty-one percent right? cooling. That's right. We, we, we've got a we've got a it's a flat twelve with uh, Alfa Romeo engine, and it needs it take, it's very it runs very hot. We need a lot of and it, of course that, that argument fell down when you, as soon as the car was static and and someone was sitting in it and, and, and really when they when they pressed the throttle the car went boom, down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love the uh, the story that Gordon told about that, where um, where he was he was told that to make sure that forty nine percent was for aerodynamic and fifty one percent was for cooling, to make sure that they fell within the regulations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. absolutely brilliant, brilliant innovation in that. Yeah, you won a it won a race, uh, yeah. right? Uh, and then but was of course it was banned. And I suppose it might, despite what I was saying earlier on about about nitpicking. I mean, I I, I think I think what would have have happened if it hadn't been banned, then everyone would decide they'd have to have one. Of course, but Gordon Murray didn't invent this idea. It was the Chaparral, you heard of the Chaparral, it was a Can-Am car, Jim Hall, which is way back in the 60s. I think the first ground of it, he actually had a separate engine. Oh, wow. I think it was a two-stroke engine. Mm. It was a, a formula there allowed you to have whatever size you wanted. Not a bad idea. Have whatever size engine you want. Yeah. That'll be interesting. No, I think with with with, with the Brabham car, I don't think it was actually banned. It was voluntarily withdrawn by Bernie Eccleston because it was just going to run away with the championship because it was so fast that they Bernie had bigger ideas about taking over Formula One. So he kind of sacked oh, off right. that car okay. based on that. I believe that's so. That one was was not actually banned. It was because Gordon Murray was spitting about it because he spent all this time designing it. And, oh, right. uh, well, he's still around, Gordon Murray. He's yeah. he's, he's, he's a real piece of work. I mean, he's an amazing designer. Yeah, yeah he designed my favourite ever road car, the uh, McLaren F1. Absolutely. Not, yeah, my yes. favourite ever road car. Have you, been in, have you been in one? I've not. I've not been in one. I went I went in one. Um, oh, wow. It's got a central driving seat. A friend of mine used to, he used to um, tell McLaren customers how to drive it without, yeah, it didn't work with Rowan Atkinson or anything. Um <laughs> Is it central seat and two two seat one each side mm. of the um, thing, and uh, we went to an airfield at Bovingdon in in Hertfordshire and did ridiculous speeds and so on. It was amazing. I mean, unreal mm. uh, the speed of the thing. And, and we we'd gone there in my brother's uh, Morris Minor, Doctor <laughs> Robin, and on the way back, he <laughs> got carried away because he broke the crank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always difficult driving after you've been driving a high-performance vehicle straight straight after. And we weren't allowed to drive it. No, no but even just being in one is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's tiny. I mean, amazing, you know. 
Well, um, what I'd like to do before we go, because we are running a little short of time now, I would like to, obviously you've been around Formula One and motorsport for a, for a long time, even if you're not massively involved now. I would love to, to finish by asking you who, who you think is your most impressive driver that you've, you've seen, whether it be through sheer speed or for, for them as a person or, or, just, or just the most talented driver you come across. Who would, be, who would you put down as your most impressive driver in Formula One? It's a, it's a question, Because yes, I mean, you're not comparing like with like, you know. That the, 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 the sort of background, the, the, the scene changes, and the cars are different, and the expectations are different, and they're all kind of athletes now, whereas before they were just blokes that drove cars. You know, well, I suppose until Hamilton came along, I wouldn't have much doubt in saying Jimmy Clark uh, because he he, he was a, an unlikely champion, an unlikely champion, a very quiet sort of chap. Didn't know him too well. I mean, not many people did actually. He was very quiet. He. Um, what was interesting about that era, which we don't really see now, is that you could put you could pop Jimmy Clark into anything and he'd win. You know, yeah. a Lotus Cortina or a Lotus Thirty, or a rather sort of bulbous sports racing car, or some giant American um, saloon car, Formula Two, which you know wasn't a good thing for him. They were very adaptable. You know, in those the same the same applied to all that. Graham Hill won Indianapolis and won the more and so on. But Jimmy Clark just seemed to be. He, he was just a complete and utter total natural, you know, mm. right from the start. He, uh, but then I think now Lewis Hamilton's on the scene. <laughs> it's hard to compare the two. But I mean, Lewis Hamilton is just awesome. Mm. If you remember watching when, you know, when races qualifying and, oh, you know, um, Verstappen's 0.3 faster, Hamilton's really struggling. And Hamilton will go out you know, seconds to spare and smash the lap record, you know, mm. you know, he, he, he just, well, he's awesome. And I, I, I hope his season comes, comes good. I mean, he, he, he really is a piece of work, but, but, but they're all, they're all, I mean, even though the ones that aren't so good are astonishingly good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think there's, there's not, there's not one person on the grid that, that any of us mere mortals could compare our driving skill to without a shadow of a doubt. So when we sit, stand here and we criticize, you know, I was fairly critical of Max Verstappen earlier. Yeah. We, we're nowhere near the ability of these incredible athletes. And uh, it, it's another reason why we love this sport so much and why we, uh, why we follow it so much. But uh, that's been a, a really lovely chat, Greg. I've, I've really enjoyed that. And, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you very much. We will be back uh, fairly soon with another episode of F1 Grid Talk. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at F1 Chronicle. And you can follow me at Tom Horrocks, F- Tom Horrocks F1 if you want to follow me as well. Thank you very much. And we will see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.